is the way to wonder. Welcome to the Money Better Podcast, brought to you by Union Bank and Trust in Lincoln, Nebraska. Get ready for an authentic conversation about how to do money better by making financial decisions that are right for you. Money doesn't have to be a scary topic anymore. Instead, let's get real about the lessons others have learned, then find ways to use those experiences to get it right. I'm your host, Caitlin Moore. Let's chat. Welcome to the Money Better Podcast out of Lincoln, Nebraska, brought to you by Union Bank and Trust. This is season two, episode three, and we are talking about the great resignation and how to get noticed in the workforce with a mass movement. So in 2021, we're dealing with a great resignation, a time where people are leaving their jobs for something new. This means right now there's a lot of opportunities if you're looking to make a move, but how do you make yourself stand out in a market where so many people are going after new jobs? So in this episode of Money Better, we're going to be talking to hiring leaders, Anita and Christy from Union Bank and Trust about best practices for applying for new jobs, interviewing, and getting an offer. So I want to welcome Anita and Christy to Money Better today. Thank you both for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Caitlin. Yeah. So Anita Shinstock is the talent acquisition, diversity and inclusion officer at Union Bank and Trust. And she's been with us for almost a year now. And Christy Wilcox is the vice president of human resources at Union Bank and Trust. And she's been with UBT for 11 years. So I want to ask both of you, um, Christy, if you'll go first, tell us a little bit about what you do at the bank. Sure. I love my job. I get to come every day and like Anita like to say, make people's dreams come true when it comes to the recruiting side and extending offers, although Anita does the bulk of that. But I get to deal with employee issues um, with COVID. We had a lot of those, which mm-hmm. was ever never ending and always exciting. <laughs> we um, help with compensation and benefits here. I oversee the whole department. So it's a little bit of everything. It's different every day. I'm always getting to learn, which I love to do. And most especially, I get to talk about the UBT culture, which is incredibly important to us as a team and make sure that our managers are instilling that in their day-to-day interactions with their associates. Perfect. And Anita, your job is relatively new to UBT. So can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Absolutely. Yes. As our talent acquisition, diversity, and inclusion officer, I have that dual role, right? Um, It's so special and definitely nice to be able to roll up my professional experience to also my personal passion. So um, yes, as Christy mentioned, I want to get to make help make dreams come true. Day to day, it is incredible. And to be able to speak to potential candidates, current candidates, new hires, extending those offers, Mm -hmm. working with hiring leaders, um, being able to be a part of really driving our talent acquisition, what it means to be here at UBT, um, and even further moving that forward and progressing it. Um, As we talk about the market, everything's evolving and changing. Mm -hmm. So how do we continue to be competitive and build that employer of choice brand? So I'm really excited and kicking those efforts out as well in our own UBT way. Let's get down to our conversation about what companies are looking for with so many job opportunities available right now and people really shifting gears because of COVID. So I want to ask you both, when people go to apply for new jobs, what are best practices to ensure their application is looked at? My goodness. So we talk about the market. It is a competitive market as, as mm-hmm. we've observed, right? Um, so I want to kind of really preface with the best piece of advice that I have recently even been talking about, especially for those frontline positions where we're seeing the most movement, but even in, in other areas as well, is to not give up or lose hope if you're, you're turned down, right? Okay. Um, so we're not just talking just that simple um, automatic turn down or after an interview. So while you can control what you have to offer, what you can control as a candidate is, is the candidate pool and what you're up against, right? So Mm -hmm. um, my biggest piece of advice to really those that are actively seeking um, is to not wait for recruiters to reach back out to you, reapply to that organization. If that's an organization that really aligns with those values, um, you just never know when an opportunity might arise. Or is there another opportunity within the organization that still interests you um, that you could further explore? So you're saying if you apply and get turned down, Mm -hmm. you should reapply for that job? You sure should. If you feel that you still have those minimum requirements, if you still feel very passionate about it, don't let that be the deterior factor. Hmm. Um, We have 
especially for frontline positions, that has been probably our biggest piece where maybe we have an abundance of candidates, but we will try to do our best to come back to them. But with right now our hyperspeed, I think that it's, it's a lot easier when candidates, if they really want it, re-put themselves back out there. Interesting. What's the, what's the span of time? Is there a secret span of time? I mean, I'm assuming you don't want to be reapplying for a job every week just to get your name out Mm -hmm. there. But if you're turned down, you get the sorry email. We're not going to bring you in for an interview, but I really, really want this job. Should I just immediately Mm -hmm. reapply? If that position's reposted? Absolutely. Okay. Interesting. I've never heard that. Mm -hmm. That's something different. I would say in, in especially given the past year and a half, that would definitely, um, but then they can also, Caitlin comes down to the basics, making sure that your application's totally completed accurately. Mm -hmm. Um, one of our biggest pet peeves, and I know Christy would agree is having that perfect spelling, that grammar, have somebody else review it, but then also Mm -hmm. taking the opportunity to customize your, your resume, your cover letter to the organization, to the position, being able to tailor that and having those keywords, if you will, ensuring that those minimum requirements are standing out, making those clear, and even being able to follow along to a resume, it still boggles my mind when we're still trying to maybe decipher out some of those key things that we're really desiring or needing or mm. to look for. And I will still stand true that a cover letter goes a long way. A resume goes mm-hmm. to be able to show, you know, a lot of what you have to offer from your experience and those transferable skill sets that you're able to speak to, to a hiring leader during a selection process. But the cover letter is allows you to personally shine. You mm-hmm. get to speak about yourself and tie that in and marry that in whatever way you want to, right? So you get to fabricate that. Mm-hmm. But I'm hearing you say grammar and spelling goes a long way. It does. <laughs> <laughs> I've always been taught that. And I... As I teach the fi- in the financial literacy program, I teach on interviewing things like that. And that's one of the things I'm like, I can't stress this enough. Your grammar needs to be on point. Your spelling, if you spell something wrong, you're in, your resume is being tossed aside like immediately. Is there other things that you can think of that are just no-nos? Like don't do this on a resume. I'd say or formatting, cover- formatting for formatting. sure. It's one of my nitpicky things. So if the spacing's off or, you know, oh. just punctuation, I guess is more to the grammar, but I am a big formatting person. And the other extreme, like, of course, it's the content that matters. But we have seen especially recently some very well done format wise um, resumes, and they do stand out they do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So be unique in your format, but make sure that it works. If you're doing bullet points, they need to line up. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And that might be a me thing, but it definitely, especially if it's a um, competitive position, that might be the difference between getting to that next stage and not. I don't think it's a you thing. I think that's why you're here is because you (laughs) do this for a living and we need to hear this. (laughs) We want to hear what's going to grab your attention. And what about pictures on resumes? Ooh, that's a a good one. That is a very good one. I say that's a no-no. I mean, when you, you're really now starting to, to put a hiring leader in an unconscious bias situation, right? So now you're allowing for bias to take into consideration. So personally, I don't think that that's, that's the most professional way to go about it. And that maybe I'm a little still old school, if you will. Okay. But some of those back to those foundational pieces to, to allowing that to still be um, not used in discretion or within a hiring decision. Um, I would still avoid. Interesting. Chrissy, do you feel the same way? I'm pretty neutral. I've, I okay. think it's, I'm not used to it. So when I do get it, it makes it stand out, but I have not thought about it as, oh, much as Anita clearly has. Okay. But I can understand your point, Anita. That makes a lot of sense. So we don't want to make our resumes like a dating site <laughs> where people are <laughs> just swiping right or left based on how you look. <laughs> Exactly. Okay. That's, that's really interesting. Cause I feel like it's a really new yes. kind of young way of saying, this is who I am. I'm professional. I'm dressed right. You know, they're not, I've, I've seen some resumes that have some really decent professional looking photos on them. And I, I thought that that was like the new wave of stuff, but I see what you're saying. You want who you are, like your education and your experience and, and those type of things to shine, not whether you look professional or or not, or mm-hmm. if somebody's going to judge you one way or another in a picture. Yeah. 
That's good. Now, okay. I would still say that, you know, you can leverage LinkedIn's the appropriate platform to be able to still do mm-hmm. your image. And then if the hiring leader or the recruiting team's going out and actively seeking that information out, then, then that's appropriate okay. and acceptable at that point. They're probably moving further on in the process of probably looking at more than just your image, right? At mm-hmm. that point, you're what you share in your resume and cover letter that already intrigued their interest, mm-hmm. allow them to make that judgment and wanting to move forward and doing the, doing the additional research that's, that's going on and beyond. But this actually brings up a question. Um, you said LinkedIn, which is great. We do a lot of people put their LinkedIn information on their resume or cover letter. We're seeing it more and more. Okay. Yeah. Seeing it, Yes. How does social media play into decisions that HR is making? I always go out, it doesn't, oh, can maybe contribute to the decision, but I do always go out and look at um, both your Facebook profile and your LinkedIn. So that's something to be aware of. And I think Mm -hmm. a lot of employers are doing that. Mm -hmm. So make sure if you're applying for a job that you've looked at those two, especially, and maybe I don't look at Instagram, but perhaps others do, and just make sure that they're appropriate based on the job you're applying for. Okay. I would agree that it's an it's at that point you're looking at that image piece as Christy pointed out. Even as far as and I know of other hiring leaders and myself that will sometimes just Google, not just yes. actively, just even mm-hmm. just do LinkedIn, just social media. I mean, as simple as a Google. Is there anything out there that we should know that we haven't done a background check on at this point, mm-hmm. but that would stand out that would compromise who would want to bring in to our organization? Sure. Mm-hmm. And every company is going to be looking at different things too. Right. So it doesn't mean that one social media site is always going to ruin your chances of getting a job. It just no. fit the culture in which a bank may be looking for, or, mm-hmm. you know, fill in the blank may be looking for. I have another good. piece of advice to yeah. get noticed, if you will. The application and the resume is obviously first and foremost, but mm-hmm. having um, internal referrals is huge. I know here mm-hmm. at the bank, we do pride ourselves in hiring people that are referred to us by our current associates. So if you're looking at a job in a company and you have a friend that already works there, if you could reach out to them and that would, that would help. It really does. We do take that into consideration when looking at applicants. If my friend is applying at the bank and I know of that, should I be letting HR know, Hey, heads up, this person's going to be applying. That's up to you. I mean, it's, if you feel strongly about the candidate and you think that he or she would be a great fit for the organization, Mm -hmm. I would encourage you to do so Mm -hmm. because it definitely helps. But you know, if you don't feel so strongly, I don't, then I wouldn't think there's any requirement (laughs) to do so. Sure. It's so great to have that insight. I think our, you know, your, our very own associates, our very own employees within an organization know if somebody's going to be able to be a good fit within the culture, within the department or role. Um, offering that up, soliciting mm-hmm. that information just yourself to that to the HR team or that hiring leader, just putting it out there. This is what you know. This is and if they've got questions to let you know, those are can be down the road and might take you up on them, but they do go a long way. But okay. even as far as going and doing your further research, and with that, I mean, maybe visit that organization, maybe be a secret shopper, if you will, speak to current employees who work there. Mm. that's the best way to observe the culture, maybe ask questions. And those that you do have connections to do actively seek out the, that information. Mm-hmm. Um, you just never know when you can weave that in during maybe an interview um, or in that resume, or maybe that referral would be able to additionally put in a good word for you. Okay. Going a step further, if there's an organization that you're very much interested in, perhaps there's no postings at the time, it wouldn't hurt if you know someone to reach out proactively and just get your name out there. I know that we don't get a lot of that, but we do get something and it does occasionally result in employment at the end of the, hmm. at the end of it. So just Maybe not right away out there, a, a just in case something comes up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, I want to get to some questions that I, I'm like burning to know personally. Um, there's two <laughs> questions that I want to ask. Um, just because of how this great resignation is is mm-hmm. working, a lot of people are leaving one career to pursue another, and it may be drastically different. Um, whether their education does not fit the new one, their experience doesn't, but their passion is there. How does somebody stand out in a new career field that 
they've never, they've never ventured into, they want to get into. And this might go hand in hand with the next question, which is, should somebody take an entry level position in a career field that they want to be in knowing that maybe they can move up stepping stones, or should they really just go for the job that interests them the most? Well, I think at first it goes back to what Anita was saying about customizing your resume. So maybe even if you don't have the stereotypical experience, if you could highlight those, oh, maybe job duties in your current or past jobs that would um, transfer, I think that's important. Then though, to your second point, if you're very passionate about getting into this field, I do think the best thing to do is to start your way at the entry level and work your way up. It's, um, I think it'd give you more street cred, if you will, mm-hmm. doing that because you've earned it more, if you want to mm-hmm. say it that way. I do think if you have the skills and you have the experience that's transferable, you could move up that ladder quite quickly. But um, to your point, those two do go hand in hand. But that's not to say that I still would encourage people, if you're very interested in your dream job, go for it. I mean, you might be surprised what happens. Mm-hmm. Okay. So really pull out where you've been with your career, just highlights or things that you've done that could be transferable into this new career field. Like I was in social services, but I taught a lot. And that was what brought me to the bank was my ability to teach. I didn't, I had never worked in a bank before, but that's why they hired me was because that, that was transferable regardless of what I was teaching. So that, is that what you're talking about, Christy? Yes. And I think also back to the cover letter of what Anita was saying earlier, that might be a great place to highlight that too. Okay. Perfect. Connect those dots to the hiring leader, Mm. you know, those transferable skill sets to, yep. The resume, the cover letter is a great, great place to do that and and to shine that, but connect that use that language of customizing those words, maybe swap some things out that's more relevant to that industry, mm-hmm. showing that you not just took what you knew or have, but also took the genuine interest about this is how it's maybe portrayed or seen within the organization. And then especially being able to highlight the passion about that you do have for that industry. Mm-hmm. That goes a long way. The culture mm-hmm. of that organization root it back to somewhere else. The skill set can be further taught, right? If you can mm-hmm. connect those dots, like you, Caitlin, everything else can kind of, you can learn. So yeah. that willingness, making sure that that shines through, whether that be the, with the, in the application or during that interview. And yes, yeah, sometimes taking that sacrifice, absolutely of having a stepping stone, getting your mm-hmm. foot in the door, I still think is applicable in today's world. I, in my opinion, absolutely. It is extremely beneficial. If you mm-hmm your lifestyle allows for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you feel comfortable with maybe trying something new and being brave. Mm-hmm. One, you may never know to Chris's point where it might lead within whether yeah. that, that department, that organization, another department that you maybe just don't even know what their day-to-day work, uh, work is. But at that point, you have one built relationships established. Yep. The rapport, the credibility, maybe you've had somebody mentor you, further groom you to be more of a ideal candidate or fit for that role down the road. Mm -hmm. This is more of a long game. This isn't something that happens overnight, but if there is an area of interest, maybe instead of um, quitting your day job and going for it, you can volunteer your time and get those Mm -hmm. skills. It doesn't have to be within your traditional um, occupation. You can get it in different ways. So if Mm -hmm. maybe there's a nonprofit who wants some website Mm -hmm. design, and if you have an interest in that, you can use your skills there. And then that's something that you can put on your resume and down the line. But again, that's more of a long game. I love that idea. Volunteering internships, something like that, where you're not quitting your day job, but you're trying to make the switch to a new career, but just getting your foot in the door and getting to know the right people could go absolutely a long way. And I always encourage young people to do that, especially in high school, early college, go have it, go take an internship somewhere to even figure out if you want to be there. Yes. <laughs> Do your research within that industry. Seek mm-hmm. out that education. There's a lot that you can even just search on the World Wide web, right? As simple mm-hmm. as that, that you can just learn that would better equip you to be able to speak intelligently about that industry. And mm-hmm. I would say that even goes the same with someone that maybe has a working gap and you're mm-hmm. trying to get back into the work field. And then maybe it's not just, in, and it is in a different industry and you're trying to connect those dots that willingness to be able to take the initiative of doing something to that you're not being paid to do is, is really Mm -hmm. one that stands out too. I want to ask one last question to kind of close out this conversation, but interview tips, 
somebody has gotten past the resume, the cover letter, they've gotten that call to say, Hey, come on in for an interview. We're interested. What are some tips right off the bat for any age level that someone should know walking into an interview? Here's the traditional ones that I think most people know be early dress the part, bring a copy of your resume. Those are like the three that I think most people are aware of beyond that. What are some good interview tips? So in addition to that, I would say one thing that really stands out to me, and this is something I personally use, honestly, is people get the butterflies, right? And mm-hmm. you get nervous and you're, but you're also excited and you can't predict what those questions are going to be that you're going to be asked. Um, be prepared. And by that, I mean, feel free to bring a notepad, a portfolio, have those key points that you want to make sure that you do speak about or you do talk about mm-hmm. um, because you can reference them at the end. If nothing else, you close with adding those things in or you weave them in. It is okay to look at those notes or ensure that you're covering mm-hmm. everything you wanted to. Um, I'd rather have that than somebody that can't think of something because they've let their nerves over take over. Mm-hmm. Um, but then even wrapping up at the end, you were just so excited in conversation and answering, you forgot to highlight some other things that would have, you know, maybe help. And now you're going home and, you know, reflecting back, Mm -hmm. take notes of things and ask, and ask questions, Mm -hmm. come already with questions. That mm -hmm. preparedness goes a long way too. make sure that we as the employer or the hiring leader did answer those questions for that. It also shows that you've done your homework. You've come prepared. You care about ensuring that you've articulated everything, but it also has a nice if you will, wrap up bow tie, showing that you took genuine interest about knowing the organization, the position, you understand it, you're interpreting it. And then mm-hmm. also when talking through examples that you do, I feel it's inevitable that you get asked behavioral questions. Give me an example of when you've demonstrated this. Mm-hmm. And I would root it back to something really basic. And that's just the star message. The, this explaining the situation, the task at hand, add the context there, put them in the scene, right? Tell that story. What was the action that you took and what was the result? What was the, what did you achieve? Telling that story. I think sometimes we get pieces of it on mm-hmm. this side of the table and that makes it harder to connect mm-hmm. in that credibility. I was going to say, um, I'm really big on the details and sometimes I'm looking at their body language. Almost, I look at the, mm-hmm. listen to the answers, of course, but also how they're coming across. Mm-hmm. So your point, how the, their appearance, of course, but then even, are they chewing gum? That's one of my pet peeves mm-hmm. <laughs> or, um, it's it, know the organization, if they allow tattoos or not, if they don't allow tattoos, I would cover those up. Just those types of details. Also just as much as you can to Anita's point, you're going to be nervous, but if you, as much as you can be yourself, like taking a deep breath, really visualizing the interview beforehand, because the more at ease it will come across in your answers and the interviewers will feel it as weird as that sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe going a step further from what Anita said, really know about the organization. I think you're going to be asked about the organization, regardless of the position. And I can always tell if someone has done their homework or not. What do they need to know about the organization? I mean, I can't really answer that question because it's different for everyone, but why are you applying? Like, what about UBT Mm. drew you to us? And what do you know about the work we do? I mean, not only within the bank, but in the community, those sorts of things. I'm not saying it has to be a deep, deep dive. They can just look at the web. I think, but just looking at the website and becoming familiar with the website Mm -hmm. says a lot about the um, person. If they do know someone who works within the organization, doing their homework that way and actually talking to them about it and asking them some questions about the values of the organization. That's a big one for me too. I look to see if this person um, shares similar values to the organization. Mm-hmm. And some of that's not answered explicitly in questions. It's more, more general than that. Anything else for an interview? Maybe some what not to do's? Well, the gum. I said the gum. Sorry. I keep going. <laughs> Don't chew gum. Rule number one. Yes. No. Dress in the park goes such a long way. Mm-hmm. It, it really does. Those first impressions I even go back to, you can't be intimidated about sometimes stepping outside of your comfort zone when it comes to organizations. So mm-hmm. um, I think of not to, not to be biased, like just talking about UBT, I'm just going to use the, the banking world, for example, you know, banking has its perceived maybe stuffiness, um, it's stuffy banks perception, right? Never want to maybe work at a bank and they don't want to entertain that field. Um, and there's other industries that are the exact same. 
Mm-hmm. Have you really taken in consideration everything else? We're just or, we're ordinary people just like you in organizations that are trying to humanize what we do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they all have departments similar, transferable within others. And there's maybe just unique roles that are more specific to the field. But there's a lot of things that are probably attractive and relatable to mm-hmm. that maybe you might align with you. Um finding out what those are, what connects with you, weaving those things in throughout does make a difference. Mm-hmm. I, I always go into interviews. I'm not a nervous person typically, but if I'm really nervous in those butterflies, I am the first to just tell the room. Yes. I think that's <laughs> like, I like that. I'm just so nervous today, but I'm so excited to be here. And I've just been looking forward to this. Like I really just kind of make light of this situation. And I found that when I have been the interviewee at my old job. Um, I loved it when people would do that. Yes. Cause it was like, it just, it, I don't know. Everybody could just that breathe a sigh of relief because even as an interviewee, yes. I was nervous. I would get nervous about meeting this person and is this going to go well? So it was nice yeah. to just, you know, breathe a little. So I have another don't do that okay. I think is really important. Don't throw your current employer or your former employer under the bus. That really hurts you. So even if um, you're talking about a difficult situation or whatnot, stick to the facts. Try to be as objective as possible to the star formula Anita was talking about. Really focused on your actions and your results. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're bashing your employer, what are you going to do to us? I just, I don't know. I just, yep. that is a pet peeve of mine and it happens more often than you would think. Okay. So I want to move into just getting to know you both. Um, we've got a vice president and an officer on our podcast today, and I, not a lot of people get a chance to get to know, you know, human resources as you all, it's your job to get to know us. So let's, um, <laughs> Let's ask some questions. I have my little three minute timer here for our rapid fire questions. And I'll just go back and forth. I want to ask you both some questions, some fun questions. And then I will give you an opportunity to ask me a question as we're doing this season on money better. So something that you may want to know about me, or you think the listener would want to know about me. So we'll just start with rapid fire questions to you both. So Christy to start with, what is a money moment you are proud of? Okay. I am not the best at being organized, paying my bills. And so in the last year and a half, I created a spreadsheet and now I am very anal about paying my bills and putting the money in the spreadsheet and checking my checking account to make sure the checks cleared. I mean, this is like a huge, huge step for me. So I'm very proud of that. (laughs) Good job. Good job. Anita, what's the dumbest or the silliest thing you have ever bought? I spent $800 on my senior prom dress that I wore one night. My gosh. And I paid for it. That's more than a lot of people's wedding dresses. Yeah, that's what what we're talking about. (laughs) That's awesome. Okay, Christy, what is the best piece of advice you have received about money? Live within your means. Mm -hmm. And my parents are always big too, that you don't know how much debt people have. Mm -hmm. And I've always taken that to heart. I always live within my means. I don't purchase something I can't afford now. I mean, houses and stuff, that's a little bit different. But, you know, other than those big purchase items, Mm I live, well, even then I live within my means. Well, you have the same piece of advice as our CEO. So that was on the last episode. That's great. All right. And if I gave you a million dollars to spend in 24 hours, how would you spend it? Okay. So living within my means, I share that value in that very first off, pay off my debt, purchase Mm -hmm. the big items that I want to do or need that would allow me to be able to do more of my hobbies that I enjoy outside. Mm -hmm. So I want a boat, new vehicle to be able to tow that, um, an RV, I'm talking, I want to be outdoors more. I want to be able Mm -hmm. to prepare to do more of that. But then don't forget about the nonprofits I am, you know, that impacted my life and upbringing Mm -hmm. and donating some of that and bringing my family and ensuring that they can worry about their debt as well um, being done. And I think that that just stands out to me as well To That allows you to have peace of mind moving forward. We're out of time, but I'm going to ask this question to both of you, Christy, you can go first. What is your favorite smell? So every summer we go to Montana and just that smell of the mountain air with the trees, you know what I'm talking about. Just Mm -hmm. so fresh. That -hmm. would be my favorite smell. Awesome. Anita, what's your favorite smell? I'm a sucker for apple and pumpkin, anything. It's a sense of home. It's comforting for me. So those scentsies that pumpkin, apple, apple crisp, um, or freshly baked, if you will, Mm -hmm. apple pie. Oh, very nice. So fall, mm-hmm. fallish smells mm-hmm. yeah. that kind of goes along with the, the mountain air too, though. 
Yes. So we're going to shift into asking me a question. What is a good question that you would want to know, or you think our listeners would want to know about me? So why did you change careers? Why did you come to (laughs) UBT in the banking industry? I actually came to the bank by accident. It was a huge networking piece. I left social services and knew someone um, pretty high up at a local hospital that I was trying to get a training position there. Um, cause I love training. I love teaching. I love relationship building and I didn't have corporate experience, so they didn't hire me, but I was one of the, I was the top two candidates for that. And they just didn't hire me for corporate experience, but the HR lady there is the sister-in-law of somebody at UBT and oh. secretly passed on my information and said, Hey, you're trying to hire an educator. She's really good. You should bring her in for an interview. And they, they hired me the next day. So awesome. it was by accident and it was a networking piece, which is a huge part. I think we've talked about that a lot today mm-hmm. is the networking piece. And if you have friends at a company or, you know, someone to, to do that. And when I left social services, that's what I focused on was who do I know in other industries doing the things that I love? I love social services, but I loved teaching. And so it was, who can I contact? And it trickled down to, to all this. So the bank was an accident, but, um, my ex-husband worked in banking and I, we had always talked about if I left social services, I would really love to go into the banking field because there's so much potential there for growth and for financial success, things like that. But I needed someone to give me a chance because I had no background in it whatsoever. And that's exactly what happened is somebody gave me a chance and then it's grown into the job that I have now, which was not what I was hired for, but very much using my strengths and that passion for teaching and and training and things like that. So came to UBT by accident. I love that. That's a good story. That's a good question. Anita, do you have a question? I do. What is one piece of advice you wish someone would have given you about money? Okay. This might burn a little bit for some people, but I wish somebody would have said, don't go to college and take out student loans. If you don't know what you are going to do with it. I wish somebody would have said, go to trade school, go get a job somewhere and where maybe somewhere that you have a passion for and see if you even like it, spend a couple years trying out a few things before you go into massive debt chasing a dream that at 18, 19 years old, you don't know if you really want it. And so now I'm paying off school loans. Um, I'm not using my degree, but I've since gone back and got my master's and I'm using that. So that was a piece of the puzzle, but I wish somebody would have said, don't go into debt right away with education until you really, really know what you want to do. Well, those are really great questions. Thank you for asking them. Thank you so much, Christy and Anita for being on money better today. I love the insight that we got about if you're shifting careers or just interviewing for a new job, kind of the do's and don'ts, but really how to stand out. So I appreciate both of your insights um, and what you do at UBT. Thank you, Caitlin. These are the words we say. In each Money Better episode, we highlight a community partner that is doing money better. Whether it is a nonprofit, a customer, or an expert in the field, our goal is to learn from their strengths and introduce you to resources that can help you do money better too. Featuring these people and organizations through our podcast is just a small part of UBT's larger mission to elevate the communities we serve. Welcome to our community partner segment of Money Better. Today, we are featuring Zell Human Resources. Chad Thies is our guest today, and he is the president of Zell. He is the founder of Zell Human Resources, and he started that about 10 years ago. So thank you, Chad, for being with us. No, it's great to be here, Caitlin. I'm excited to answer some questions, dig in, and have a conversation. Yeah, thanks. Well, can you just tell us a little bit about you and what you do? Yeah, sure. So uh, me... I, uh, like Caitlin had just referenced, been at Zelle for about 10 years, and we've been fortunate to grow to serve on an annual basis about 1,000 clients a year. And we do that in really three different ways. One way is our HR consulting division. So we are able to go into existing companies and act as their HR or be in addition to the HR team members that they have. And we also do a lot of special projects for clients. That could mean LDP programs, comp analysis, performance management, training and development, uh, you name it. We do a lot of really fun things to make a big impact 
within organizations. And fundamentally, the big impact is culture, right? That's what we're trying to shoot mm -hmm. for is how do we enhance an already existing good place? And then we also have our recruiting and staffing division. So we do recruiting from C-level positions uh, to more of the entry or level type positions as well. And that's been a ton of fun too in a very, very tough job market, uh, but we're doing our very best to serve our clients. And we have a ton of partnerships too. We are the, prefer the preferred HR provider for about eight different uh, nonprofit organizations and a couple for-profits. So our partnerships are very, very key to our, our success as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I really want to hone in on the recruiting side of things because today our episode is about how people are really shifting careers post pandemic lifestyles or just people are saying, you know, I don't really want to do this anymore, or I just have this passion in this area, seeing a need, wanting to meet that need. So people are shifting gears and we want to talk about how they're being recruited or how to make themselves more recruitable. Let's talk about headhunting first. So can you just explain what a headhunter does? Yeah. So there's different ways to think about that word of headhunting. So when someone engages with a, a recruiter, a professional recruiter, um, the idea behind that is they want that person, the recruiter, to find them what they would consider a great job, dream job, whatever that is. And the headhunter uh, is there to help really act as that person's agent in the process to help deliver on that next step in their journey. And to the origins of how this all starts and how do you get engaged with someone like that in the first place, you can reach out to organizations for them to assist you. That happens a lot. Okay. But fundamentally, one of the first and, and prominent places that recruiters go to, professional recruiters go to, to find people is LinkedIn. Okay. You know, LinkedIn tends to be the gateway for recruiters to find people because it's became very easy for firms like Zelle and other firms that do recruiting to go and hunt people on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is your resume online. In fact, for us, LinkedIn's probably much more important than a, a physical resume is. Mm. And it makes recruiting for us more targeted too, because we can go out and search for people that are in like positions, mm -hmm. analyze their profiles, dig into writings they may have done, information that may exist on their LinkedIn profile they wouldn't have had on a resume. So my point is, if you want to be recruited, mm -hmm. you need to make sure your LinkedIn profile is sound and up to date. What are some tips that you have for folks that are joining LinkedIn to make themselves more appealing? Yeah. So it's really, Caitlin, the basics fundamentally first, make sure you have a profile picture on LinkedIn. Okay. You know, your profile picture is really kind of your calling card. It's how you're introduced to the world. Um, so pick a picture that you like that represents who you are and make sure it's clear for people to see. And then you want a background photo as well. So again, you want to make sure that it's visually appealing, just like resumes okay. should be too. And then you get to add in more about of a headline about yourself. You know, who are you? So who is Caitlin? You know, mm -hmm. make it your story. Um, you, you get to tell who you are, uh, where you're at in your life, and maybe, maybe where you want to go. Mm -hmm. And it really allows people to connect with you on a really good level. Like, that's somebody I want to connect with. Mm -hmm. And that's somebody that I may want to recruit. And then you can also do a really good job on LinkedIn of growing your network. By growing your network, you know, you're going to be able to connect with people that may be able to help you grow your business or like you were talking about here today, help you find that next job. And people ask us all the time on LinkedIn, when someone sends an invitation to connect, you know, should I accept it or not? I accept every single invitation that I get. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't spend a whole lot of time looking at who it is unless they spent, send me a message. But you really, in my opinion, run very, very little risk if you're connected with somebody that you don't want to be connected with. Because again, LinkedIn's just there as a, as a source. It's not Facebook or Instagram where right. we're posting things that we're doing outside of work. It's a business channel is what it is. Okay. And then you get a list you know, your relevant skill sets, just like you would on a resume on LinkedIn, which again, when a recruiter is on LinkedIn, what they're doing is predominantly like titles and buzzwords or typing in certain words. Mm -hmm. So Caitlin, if I want to find a senior marketing person um, or, or in somebody specialized in marketing, um, I can type in certain words that'll populate for me people that exist in those jobs to their location that I want to recruit from. Uh, so again, you can make yourself more attractive on the LinkedIn profile by making sure you're loading up your profile with buzzwords that it makes sense for you. Okay. 
So again, LinkedIn is, is really a tool that you don't have to spend a lot of time on either. It's something that I am on every single day uh, because we need to be on there for helping our company out with recruiting efforts. Mm -hmm. We also use LinkedIn a lot for marketing too. So again, mm -hmm. what I love about LinkedIn for recruiting firms, it's great because we can go target people and introduce ourselves in a really nice way and we can converse confidentially. Uh, so it's a good confidential tool too to connect with people. And we've learned in our business, when we reach out to people on LinkedIn with a warm lead, everybody's kind of a thankful to get reached out to whether they're interested in a new opportunity or not. Mm -hmm. uh, you're not going to find many folks that aren't thankful that you reached out to them. I have some follow-up questions from what you're saying, because um, you make a good point that LinkedIn is a pretty kind of kosher way of connecting with people. Even if you don't know them, it's not a Facebook or Instagram. There's a little more security there, but how do you handle when somebody, so say somebody reached out to me via message on LinkedIn and said, Hey, we're kind of interested in your profile and who you are. So how does one make sure that the person that, the re that has reached out to them to possibly recruit them is an actual person or is a safe person? Yeah. So LinkedIn makes it getting really easy because you can go back and click on that individual's profile that reached out to you and learn mm -hmm. more about them before you engage in a conversation. Okay. If you want to do that. Because most of the time what's happening on LinkedIn, if you're reached out to by a recruiter, they're there to recruit you. You know, they may or may not want to recruit you after the conversation because you may not be the fit they're looking for, or you may be the fit they're looking for. So recruiters are really, uh, I, I, I think, pretty safe to, to converse with. And there's not a lot of recruiters that are going to spend time out there trying to connect with anybody because this is their livelihood. So not wanting to waste sure. any time. They're wanting to really drill into, does this person have what we're looking for? Mm -hmm. And if they do initial conversation goes well, they'll schedule a time for a conversation over the phone or zoom, whatever that is. And then mutually agree or disagree to move forward. So if somebody's looking for a job, it sounds like they should definitely be connected on, on LinkedIn. Definitely get on there, make a profile. Yeah. If, Caitlin, if they want to be found, if they want to be reached out to by a recruiter, they almost have to be on LinkedIn. If, if okay. they're not on LinkedIn, they're probably, if they ever wonder why recruiters never contact me, the recruiters don't know how. You know, you need to have that presence online mm -hmm. uh, to get that done. And it makes a very warm introduction. It makes it very easy for, again, the recruiter and for the seeker. And people can be seekers without anybody needing to know either. Because on the back end of LinkedIn, recruiting firms like Zelle, we can see if people choose to put it on there, the people that are open to work. I'm not talking about open to work on their LinkedIn profile on the front facing side. I'm talking about the back end that we can see that okay. nobody else can see. They're worried about someone within their business seeing that they probably can't see it, but we can. So we might reach out to them first because we know they're open to opportunities. Okay. So there's a setting on there that you don't have to advertise on, yeah, on the back end. You, you don't have to advertise. Okay. Okay. So even if you're in a, you're in a solid career, but you may be wanting to shift, it's yep. not a bad idea to just put that on the the silent mode in a sense. And, and no, that's exactly, yeah, that's exactly it. Yep. It's a, okay. it's a good safe way to do it. But again, I would really encourage everybody to get on there. And LinkedIn makes it really, really easy to put your profile together. I think resumes are much harder to put together because you're, you know, trying to get it fit on everything on one page or two pages. And you're like, oh my gosh, I just messed this up. And now it's two pages in a sentence. LinkedIn does it all for you. It's already built. You just got to plug things in. Okay. What are some things that people should not be putting on their profile or even their resume that a recruiter might red flag right away? Well, I think like anything else, what we're looking for is what the person does at work. I do have my some outside interests on LinkedIn too a little bit, but I'm most concerned about getting to know the person about what they currently do at work, what their dreams, visions are, those kinds of things, what they've mm -hmm. currently done, do. Uh, I'm not looking for a lot of their extracurriculars and stuff like that yet I'll get to know them in the recruiting process. So I would avoid posting things that are really not business related on LinkedIn. It's starting to happen a little bit more and more where it can be a little more political and things like that. Mm -hmm. I'm really not interested in those kind of things. Um, from Do you think political recruiter. stuff is a detriment? Yeah, it's, it can, yeah, absolutely. It certainly can be. I mean, we're in a, a, a very uh, politicized world and there's a lot of partisan, you know, it's just a, it's just a tough environment right now. And I think, um, you know, people can choose to do what they want to do and say what they want to say. And that's great because we're in a country that allows that. But mm -hmm. I think sadly for a lot of uh, people looking for jobs, it's not helpful in the process mm -hmm. to probably uh, position their stance on something on LinkedIn. That's maybe more what Facebook is for and other channels yeah. like that. I don't think LinkedIn's that source for that. 
Okay. With this whole shifting career, people are shifting into careers that they've never been in. Maybe it's just a passion or a strong interest. And we've gotten feedback about, you know, taking possibly an entry-level job just to get your foot in the door or volunteering or doing an internship, kind of seeing if that world is right for them. But how does one, if they are adamant about shifting their career fields, how would you suggest to someone or encourage someone to make themselves appealing in a job market that they've never been in before? That's an awesome question. You know, it's really easy for people to say, well, they should just go the entry level route and grow the company. Well, you know what? I'm 44 years old. I'm not in, in a position to be able to do that for my family. So I don't, I wouldn't tell anybody else to do it either. I don't think that's a fair position statement to say that, well, they need to go in they need to start from the beginning again and grow up mm-hmm. in the company. Well, you know what? That's just not reality for most people, Caitlin. They're not ready to go back from making, I'm just going to throw some random numbers out there, hundred to 40. Right. And they have people in livelihoods they have to support. It's just not a realistic thing. Mm-hmm. So what I tell folks is, A, it's going to be, let's be transparent. It's going to be really hard. Let's all know that up front of it's going to be a challenge because you do get positioned and bucketed into what, with what you've done in your history. Mm-hmm. It's how you tell your story again with how your job could translate to other jobs because so many jobs are transferable. The knowledge is transferable, whether you're in healthcare or finance or manufacturing or marketing a lot of those skills can be transferred. Now, some can't. You know, if I wanted to go be a web developer, I don't speak any of those languages. It'd be right. very hard for me to start from scratch when I don't have any talent or skill in that area. Mm-hmm. But if I want to go be a project manager, or maybe I've been in a role where it's not project management, but I've done some things that kind of translate to that, I can position myself to go do a job like that. Maybe I want to switch to sales, a higher level sales job. Maybe my title wasn't a sales title, but I did a lot of internal sales within my organization. So what I tell people is share your story in a relatable way to tell the job you've done relates to the work you want to do. Okay. Because if it doesn't relate at all, it's going to be a very big uphill battle. This is tough too, Caitlin, but I think the best businesses appreciate people being a little bit bold. Mm. I say it with humility, but what I mean by that is, you know, if I really want to go work at X company, maybe I should just, you know, one day decide I'm going to go into that organization and ask to meet with a business leader, maybe someone who's in the part of the department head. The best organizations, in my opinion, will say, you know, I appreciate that person getting ready to come into our organization. That's, a, that's hard to have to do, right? Yeah. It takes a lot of courage to have to do something like that. And you're putting yourself out there. So when people used to do that where I used to work, I always appreciated that. And I always would love to sit down and talk with them because this person showed me fundamentally, they have courage. They probably have some work intensity too. Two things that I can't teach. Right. You're right. hardwired that way or not. Mm-hmm. So let's maybe think about a path where I can give them a chance. And because you can apply to jobs, Caitlin, but you know, most applicants won't even be viewed um, by people's applicant tracking systems. It's very unfortunate, but that's just the reality of it. Cause a lot of businesses get so many apps right. and they're scored or they're color coded green, yellow, red, and recruiters can do their best to get through as many as they can, but they're going to go to green first and yellow that match up with the resume words. That's what happens. So these people we're talking about now that are wanting to move to a different industry, you got to be bold. I think, I think that's the mm-hmm. uh, one ticket that can help and use your network to help get you uh, in front of people because that's how you get jobs by getting in front of, of people, not by applying to jobs. Do you think in today's job market that the whole, it's not what, you know, it's who, you know, is a pretty applicable concept Yeah, for a lot of jobs. It is that way still with the network of getting you. Okay to get your foot in the door at organizations to get in front of someone who can make a decision that's willing to think outside the box and look at talent first and competencies first, because what we're always looking for at Zell internally for us, we hire somebody and we try to do this for our clients as well. I want to make sure to the best of our ability that we are finding people for them that have the right competencies that we can't teach. Again, it's really hard to teach somebody to work hard. It's really hard to teach somebody to be nice. It's really hard to teach somebody to have relationship skills. It's really hard to teach somebody to be detailed. You know, you are those things or you aren't. We all have gaps. I got lots of gaps. I have strengths, you know, but how can we match up what's important to that company and pair that with someone's talents? Because you know what? I can teach people skills, but I can't teach somebody to be kind of that. They're not hardwired that way. It's just not going to happen. They can fake it for a bit, but they're going to revert back to who they are. So I want kindness. I want work intensity. I want positivity. 
you know, those kinds of yeah. things. Is that what employers are look, like really honed in on though right now is, you know, I could teach you the skill of money, say in the finance world, but I can't teach you how to teach or relationship build or how to talk to customers. Is that, are companies honing in on that idea, that concept? Some, some do. Again, I think the best companies do do that. I think it's okay. fundamentally part of their core principles and how they hire for, but I, I think a lot don't too. I think they're in such a desperate time right now to find people that they'll hire for the skill or less than skill because they need to. And I get that. Okay. Um, but I think if companies can find the time to select for both, many things are going to happen that you're going to hire a happier person to a job they're going to fit into probably more. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have somebody fit into the culture that you want more, or maybe that exists already. You're saying the best companies do, if they're going to, if they're really looking for the right candidate, they're going to. Yeah. I, I do think the best companies do that. And you know, a lot of companies are under such pressure right now that they want to do it and can't do it too. And yeah, they, they, everyone, everybody wants to hire really strong people and they also want to, you know, enhance their culture and all those kind of things. And, mm-hmm. and everybody, I think generally believes in the good of people. And sometimes, you know, most people, you know, do want to do good, but some people want to go in organizations and sadly just be a disruptor too. And that happens as well. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty competitive job market right now in 2021. There's a, but there's a lot of job opportunities, but Lots. we know that people are looking for the best of the best at this point. So from your perspective, what are companies looking for when they're trying to hire? They're, they're looking for, they have certain skills they have to have in a lot of positions, right? So let's say if it's IT position, they, they have to have, you know, Java or .NET or C Sharp or whatever it is, because you have to have that. Maybe it's a technician role and you're a service technician, you have to work on these machines. So you got to be a mechanic of sorts. Um, you know, maybe it's in banking where, you know, I want to hire a lender, but they have to have a wide network. And how do I figure out this person's truly has a wide network and is liked and those kind of things. Mm-hmm. I think everybody's looking for the same kinds of things, but you know, the reality is right now, Caitlin, the markets, in my opinion, in 20 years, roughly of me doing things like this, it's never been this tough before where Mm -hmm. there are more jobs than people. And you Mm -hmm. might just do yourself some good by talking to somebody and helping them and listening to them because, you know, people that are in jobs they want to get out of are struggling every day. And, you know, that's, that's a tough thing. And, and, you know, where mental health has become something that's been a, a huge um, discussion that's becoming more freely to talk about. And, you know, if you're not in the right position for a long time or a short time too, it can impact your mental health too. So I would just encourage everybody, you know, to sprinkle a little kindness in your day and help these job seekers out and mm-hmm. give them a little time, effort, and energy. And I think um, that'll help everybody. I love that. That's a great way to end. So be bold, show some kindness, hear people out, get to know them. I love that. Well, thank you, Chad, for being on Money Better today. This has been really great insight in this weird job market that we're in. So thank you so much. Thank you, Caitlin. I appreciate you. Appreciate it. Union Bank and Trust financial literacy materials, articles, guides, blogs, podcasts, and videos are for informational purposes only and not an advertisement for product or service. The accuracy and completeness is not guaranteed and does not constitute legal or tax advice. Please consult with your own tax, legal, and financial advisors. Member FDIC.